was a few months ago when I knew that gradually um, my work with day one was coming to a close that I just sat with Catherine and I said, Catherine, is there anything you can think of that I haven't preached upon? Any book that I haven't turned to and done it credit? Just, uh, just give me your own personal thoughts. Anything that you would like me to preach upon before I kind of draw to a conclusion. And I remember her turning to me and said, John, I've never heard you preach on heaven. I felt a bit ashamed. But I thought, right, let's try and address it. The trouble is, the more I thought about this subject, the more I realized the difficult task I was setting myself. And I'm going to acknowledge right at the very, very beginning that this subject is far greater than any Christian can understand. And I'm not going to cover the subject within 30 minutes or so. I'm not a bit surprised that we hear few sermons on the subject of heaven. It was the year 2000. Day one publications were looking for new books to publish. And we began with publishing a series of travel guides. We would take the life of someone like Spurgeon, Bunyan, and we would give a history, a brief history of the character with photographs, with travel guides to get to the places if people want to look at these places. But when I was preparing this series, I realized that I might need to go round with the author and look at the sites myself just to ensure that we've got all the facts and details correct. So I could say, in other words, I'd been there. I'd been to Bedford. I'd been around it. I'd been to Suffolk, where Spurgeon spent a lot of his time as well as London. I'd been to these places. I'd seen them with my own eyes. But tonight, we're considering a place I've never been to. And you know, I've never come across anybody who has. All that we have is an account of a vision that John gave to us in the book of Revelation and we have a, a picture of three years of public ministry where our Lord Jesus talked about heaven. When we relocate to another part of the country or dare I say of the world we investigate it. That's if we've sense. We'll investigate it. We'll investigate the churches in the area. 
we'll investigate the transport system. If we've got family, children, we'll investigate the schools. We'll investigate everything about the area before we go. But do we investigate our eternal destiny? Just remember, heaven is a place where every Christian will go to. And we're going to reside there forever. We must investigate it. But tonight, I'm trying to describe the indescribable. I'm trying to fathom the unfathomable. A famous sculptor was once asked, What piece do you think of most? He replied, The piece I have yet to carve. The Christian life is exciting now. I can look back over my life with Catherine, and it's been exciting. Serving the Lord is exciting. But I'll tell you this, if it's exciting now, the best is yet to come. One of James Montgomery's greatest hymns begins and ends with the same words. Forever with the Lord. What does forever really mean? I think it's very difficult for creatures of time, as we are, to grasp and get into our heads the concept of forever. We talk that if anybody lives to a hundred years, wow, haven't they had a long life? Compared to time, yes. But eternity? It's a drop in an ocean. Our homes are filled with numerous clocks. We have clocks in nearly every room. We have them in our bedroom. We have them in our lounge. We have them in our kitchens. We have them on our wrists. We have them in our cars. We listen to the times sometimes on the radio or on the television. We are governed by time. It's only when we turn to the Bible and hear the words of Almighty God that the concept of eternity and the words forever are brought to our attention. Now, the reality of forever comes to our attention early in Exodus 15, verse 18. We read, The Lord will reign forever and ever. We then turn to the last chapter of the Bible. And this refers to the Lord's people. In verse 5, 
and they will reign forever and ever. At the beginning, we're told the Lord will reign forever and ever. At the end, we're told it's the Lord's people who also will reign forever and ever. And on both occasions, the word ever is repeated twice to emphasize this has no end. So what do the words forever mean in our relation to our eternal home? Well, I just want to leave you just three things. I could have left you a hundred things, but I just want to, in the time, leave you with three things. First, forever is life. You see, death, and I mentioned it this morning, but death is an experience we all face at some time or another. Some people live to a good old age, but some die very young. And if you ever walk through a cemetery and just look at gravestones, you can see it's not just 80, 90, but sometimes it can be six months, six years, 16 years. The only time you and I can guarantee is now. And every breath that we draw is a gift, a precious gift from Almighty God. So we must make the most of our earthly existence. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, said, I live this day as if it's my last, because one day it will be. Death comes to us all, whether we're rich or poor, whether we're educated or uneducated, and it's important that we are prepared for it whenever it strikes. But then, Revelation 21.4 says, Death shall be no more. 1 Corinthians 15.26 says, The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Even Job, around the time of the patriarchs, had this assurance. In chapter 19, verse 25 and 26, he said, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and after this skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I will see God. 1 Corinthians 15.22 As in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. But I want to make this absolutely clear. It's only those in Christ that shall be made alive. Only those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb who will be made alive. I don't often get angry. I hope Catherine will back that up. But I don't often get angry. But 
Sometimes I get righteously angry when after some well-known sports star has died, the media will report that he'll be up there cheering the team on at the next match. What a load of rubbish. Or I've heard some famous comedian who's died and the media report he'll be up there cracking his jokes, having heaven in laughter, when on earth many of his jokes have been blasphemous anyway. Such comments are becoming more common. People think that whatever happens, they're going to be up there. And what a shock it's going to be. Only those who have repented of their sin, turned to the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness, will be up there. And for them, death is not the end. D.L. Moody, the famous American evangelist in the mid-19th century, one day informed his congregation in Chicago that one day they would read in the Chicago press that D.L. Moody is dead. He said, when you see it, don't believe it. Because I'm just beginning the adventure of a lifetime. Jesus said, because I live, you will live also. Jesus tasted death for his people. Now he lives and reigns forever. Yes, we will all taste death, but if we are God's children, we too shall live forever. We had a, a dear lady who was a friend of ours in Tunbridge Wells, not too far away, and she became very seriously ill. Family gathered round, called for the doctor. The doctor came, and she said to the doctor, Doctor, how long have I got on this earth? And the doctor was a bit perturbed because he didn't want to give her the correct answer. And she looked at him, Doctor, don't be afraid. I just want to know how long I've got on this earth. And he looked at her and said, Well, dear, I'm afraid it will be no longer than about two hours. And our friend said, oh, goody, I'm going to see Jesus tonight. And sure enough, within a few hours, she was safely in the arms of a Savior. She was now forever with the Lord. So just try and forget the concept of time when you think of heaven. Because eternity will be forever. In trillions of years, you'll only just beginning your journey in heaven. It will have no ending. It's gobsmacking, to be quite honest. It's unbelievable, but it's true. So when I think of forever... I think of life.
we are going to truly... Sometimes I think this is just an existence. Life begins when we die. <laughs> and that is going to be no ending. Second thing I want to just bring to you. Forever is peace. On the 11th of November, 1918, the First World War came to an end. It was said at the time, this war is the end of all wars. Yet 20 years later, World War II began. In the early 1980s, our national leaders, including our own Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher, the US President, Ronald Reagan, and the Russian Premier, Gorbachev, had witnessed the fall of the Iron Curtain and I'm giving you the correct words, they were promising the beginning of a new world order. The Berlin Wall was down. Iron Curtain was dissolved. A new world order where war, hatred, mistrust between nations would be a thing of the past. Now, these are intelligent people, but these things will be a thing of the past. How wrong they've been. Instead, we continue with the old world disorder. A world that lacks peace. At this moment, conflicts are taking place all over the world. Yeah, we're aware of a number of them due to the media and brave reporting. But many take place without media coverage at all. You see, we're living in a world now that's dominated by uncertainty, by fear, by greed, by mistrust, and by hatred. We're told that we can provide better living conditions. We're told that we can create more wealth. We're told that we can give better education. But none of these things will bring true, lasting peace. <clears throat> Romans 1.18 reminds us that we are all under the wrath of God and how we need to thank Him for Jesus. How we need to thank Him for Calvary's cross. How we need to thank Him that if we are Christians... No condemnation now we dread. But a day is coming when war and conflict, fear and hatred will be no more. We are going to enjoy eternal peace. Won't that be wonderful? God will be at peace with us. We will be at peace with God. And we also will be at peace with one another. Sin is a destroyer of peace. But Revelation 7.14 reminds us that in heaven there will be no more sin. Can I ask you a question? 
Is sin a problem to you? I'll be honest with you, it is for me. I wake up in the morning and I face it. And the battle with sin continues until the very moment that I put my head down on the pillow. We are constantly in a battle with sin. It's there, it won't go away. And we have to stand and we have to fight it. But in heaven, the battle will be over. There will be no more sin. We're going to enter heaven and we're going to revel in this peace and all its blessings not because we deserve to be there but because God's grace has brought us there. So forever life, forever peace, now forever joy. You know, in this world, we do experience times of great joy. The birth of a child, a wedding of a member of the family, a special party when someone gets to a big age. Yes, there are times when we can get together and enjoy a celebration. But life can also be cruel. Usually the joy, though heartwarming, is temporary. But we also have situations where we mourn the death of a parent, the loss of a partner or child, some face terminal illness, dementia strikes, it ends our hopes and aspirations. But one day all that will be past. And we're going to experience a joy that is eternal and an experience that will be beyond our imagination. In heaven there will be no sadness, there will be no grief, there will be no tears, there will be no mourning, it will be gone. We'll just revel on in the joy that has been given to us. Just try for a moment and think about the most wonderful experience you've had on earth. Well, if you can think of the most wonderful experience you've had, let me just tell you this the joy of heaven will eclipse it many times over. So we've considered forever life, forever peace, forever joy, and we could add, if we had time, forever light, forever love, forever rest, and many more. But what I want to say now is that these are only the fruits from the tree. They're not the root. 
Jesus is infinitely better than any of those that I've mentioned. His company will eclipse everything. Now, if I'm honest with you, I would say this, which I am going to do. My heart is not fully centered upon life forever, although I know it's a fact. It's not fully centered on peace forever, though I know it's a fact. It's not fully centered on joy forever, although it's a fact. My heart is centered most of all, my longing is to have Jesus forever. Just to be with Him. Just to look on His face continually will be glory for me. To be with Him, not by faith as we are now, but in actual reality. Sometimes it makes my soul just want to soar away. I has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Christians, if you're a Christian tonight, how can I get this across? But you've a glorious future ahead. Just forget the pain and the anxieties. Just forget the problems that you face. Just put aside all the trials that you have. And just remember this, that when this life is over, you've a glorious future ahead. My question is, are you preparing for it? We had some great news not long ago. That our daughter, who lives in South Africa, is going to come and see us just before Christmas. We, uh, I can tell you right now, we're already preparing for it. We're talking about it. We're eagerly awaiting it. Just to see her. Just to hug her. You can't do that on Skype. Just to talk with her. Just to be in her presence for three weeks will be so wonderful. Are you preparing for heaven? Talking about it? Eagerly waiting for it? I mentioned this morning there are one group of people are the persecuted church of Jesus Christ. If ever you have the privilege of meeting any members of the persecuted church of Jesus Christ, one thing that you'll discover is that one of the first topics they'll talk to you about is the second coming in heaven. And the reason being, they have nothing to keep them. Nothing at all. They've lost their homes, they've lost their belongings, They've even lost their families. There's nothing to hold them. They just can't wait for heaven. All they have is their faith in the Lord Jesus. So is your book destiny booked? 
If not, you can find it at Calvary's cross. That's the place. There's no other place. And Jesus has paid the cost. The fare's been paid. And the fare was his blood, his precious blood. Before we conclude, I just want to briefly share with you, I think, four wonders of our future destiny. And it will be brief, so don't worry. Number one, heaven will reveal the full character of God. All God's attributes will be displayed in a way that we have never seen before. 1 Corinthians 13.12 tells us that in this life we see through a mirror dimly. But a day is coming when we're going to see him face to face. As I look at you now, I'm going to be able to look at Jesus in the same way, face to face. On the Mount of Transfiguration, only three disciples saw the glory of Jesus. But one day every believer is going to see the glory of Jesus. And we're going to live with that glory forever. Second, heaven will have all your questions answered. During this earthly pilgrimage, many questions have come to my mind. I've not known the answer. And they've all begun with how, when, why. But on the door of heaven, there will be a notice such as inquire within. All our doubts, all our questions, all our uncertainties, all the things that we've never been able to understand will be finally answered to our satisfaction. The jigsaw will be finished with every piece in place. And the complete picture will be breathtaking. Thirdly, heaven will bring full forgiveness. I love the thought that Stephen, who we talked about this morning, will have forgiven Saul of Tarsus for consenting to his death. John Newton, the former slave trader, will be forgiven by the slaves he captured and ill-treated. And we will be forgiven from those we have wronged, and we will have the grace to forgive those we have wronged. There'll be no grudges held against us, all we hold against others. But I finish to me with the most thrilling thing of all for me, apart from seeing Jesus. Heaven's going to bring a change in us. Are you happy with yourself as you are? Thank you. Neither am I, brother. I sometimes hate myself because of the sins that I sometimes fall into. But a time is coming 
when heaven's going to bring a change in us. We're going to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Now, I look at myself now and I think, can that be so? God can do anything. Yes, it can be so, and it will be so. What was lost in the Garden of Eden will be restored in heaven. Look, there's so much more one could say, and time's been my enemy. But I just want to finish with this. And I can do no better than finish with Scripture and the words of our Lord. And he said this, Whatever your circumstances may be in life now, whatever your problems and difficulties, whatever your frustrations and anxieties, Jesus said this to you. Listen. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, then believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. But because it is so, I am now going to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may be also. I can't finish with better words than that. In other words, forever with the Lord. Amen. So let it be. We're going to sing a great hymn by James Montgomery. It's not the easiest to sing, but I know you'll do it justice. We're going to sing 809. 809. And please note the words that you sing. We're going to sing forever with the Lord. Amen, so let it be. Let's stand and sing.
service that is ahead. We thank you for the future that we have and for the wonderful certainty that we will be with the Lord forever, but we need to remember who's made this possible. And it's only through our Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice upon Calvary's cross. And so we gather now in these closing moments around your table. And we thank you, Father, from the depths of our heart for that broken body, that body that was bruised, that body that was battered, that body that was just disfigured for us. And we thank you, too, for that precious blood that has been shed on our behalf. Lord, you had no need to do it. You did it because you loved us. What greater love has been this that a man should lay down his life for his friends? And so, Father, as we share in this communion, we just pray that we may ever be grateful for the broken body and the shed blood that made heaven possible. In your name we pray. Amen.